Good evening. Konbanwa. Oh, Namaste. Thank you. I think I said that right. I, I'm still in Cantonese mode right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you, what did you say? Namaste? Yeah. I, yeah. Mm, I don't get that one. <laughs> Wakarimasen. <laughs> yeah, my Japanese is very raw. It's always a start somewhere. Well, okay, first I have to start off by greeting everybody before we get started, so. Okay. Okay. Um, welcome, everybody, to episode 55 of Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast on Anchor.fm. Um I would like to start off by thanking the sponsors of the show, Flipboard.com, where you can go to get your nonstop um, information, newspaper articles, such as New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, The Guardian, um, People. Um, so if you want to check them out, you can. I've used them for a while. They're really good. And they're free. You can get them on iOS. Um, and, and you can get them on Google Play Store. So check flipboard.com out. And we're going to go straight into today's episode where I am interviewing Polyglot and Professor Tim Keeley. Thank you for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Greetings from Japan. What part of Japan are you um, currently residing in, if I may? Um, it's Kyushu Island, uh, Fukuoka mm -hmm. Prefecture, and next to Fukuoka City, in a city called Itoshima, oh, okay. which is uh, mainly countryside. Mm -hmm. um, I live on top of a mountain overlooking the ocean. That's what I'm looking at right now. Oh, that's beautiful. And um, while well, there's uh, farming farming uh, rice farming down there and the fishing village so it's really countryside very nice area okay it's about uh, i think around eight or nine degrees now okay. uh, centigrade centigrade um i forget how to use fahrenheit <laughs> yeah is it like 20 or 30 degrees um no it would be in the 40s okay and it'd be around 50 degrees, I guess. Okay. See, I, I suck at conversion, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the other way around because I have 44, I live 44 years in, in, uh, in Celsius uh, territory. Um, for my listeners that don't really know you, could you tell them about your story and, and how you got into languages? Like, was it like most people where they were young and they learned like at age four, age five, age six? Um, not really. Uh, in my case, basically I grew up in a monolingual family in Florida. Mm -hmm. We had a chance to study Spanish at a young age because we were in, we were, uh, in South Florida. Mm -hmm. um, I took an interest in it. So by my teens, uh, let's say certainly by uh, junior high school, 
I was taking classes uh, in Spanish uh, every semester, whatever they called it back then. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I started to have uh, Cuban friends and other speakers of Spanish. So Spanish was my first foreign language. And um, <clears throat> my real journey began when I left the States in uh, 1974. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to Colombia to, to study at university there at uh, Uni Universidad de los Andes mm -hmm. in Bogota. Mm -hmm. I had already um, gotten a lot of credits from Advanced Placement, CLEP, Mm -hmm. And uh, starting junior college at age 16. Mm -hmm. So when I was 18, I was, I'd finished basically my junior year. Mm -hmm. And that was quite fast. So I decided to slow down and enjoy a different lifestyle. So um, well, I signed up for a program to study in Colombia. And... Um, there, I got more interested in other languages, and I studied French, German, and Portuguese uh, in Colombia. Mm -hmm. A lot on my own, but I went to Alliance Francaise and Goethe Institute and uh, Instituto Brasileiro de Cultura for those languages. And then after that, uh, I took a trip around South America starting by going down to the Amazon and mm -hmm. all Brazil. So um, that was my chance to use the Portuguese. And then uh, later, I, after all that, I went to school in Switzerland, mm -hmm. in Geneva, in French. Mm -hmm. And um, then I spent a summer in the former Yugoslavia and studying uh, mainly Serbo-Croatian. And uh, how far should I go? I mean, there's a lot to say. Oh, no. <laughs> We're talking early years now. <laughs> it, it's, it's okay because, like, a lot of my um, listeners are ESL learners from Latin mm -hmm. American, Latin America, and Vastok Europa, Nafimir, and, you know, in Africa and stuff. And so, like, a lot of them... Um, you know, love hearing stuff like this. I think the longest episode I've had was with Vladimir Skopetti. We had started uh -huh. for so long. It was supposed to be an hour. It wound up being almost three. So, <laughs> okay, well, yeah. well, I guess I'll just kind of give a continuous synopsis of, of um, how I got to where I am now. Okay, so, uh, so basically it was uh, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, French, and German. Right. So using French in school in Switzerland, and then uh, I worked in Germany during the summers uh, when I went to school in Poland. <laughs> After I went back to the U.S., graduated, and uh, then I went to graduate school in Poland where I studied Slavic literature, oh, wow. meaning mainly Polish, Russian, and uh, reading also in uh, Croatian or Serbo-Croatian. And uh, so... Uh, also, I studied Norwegian and Japanese in Poland. And um, so after a couple of years there, I came to Japan for the first time. That was uh, 1981. Um, and uh, 
I was I uh, started university and graduate school here for Chinese literature. Mm-hmm. I, I really love to study literature, though my undergraduate was a mix between um, well, I'd studied Latin American literature in in, in uh, Colombia and read a lot of. I read the literature of all the countries I visited in mm-hmm. South America. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my degree was a major in political science and business administration. Mm-hmm. So trying to be practical. Right. So, okay. So after that undergraduate degree, then um, I went for Slavic literature in Poland and Chinese literature in graduate school here in Japan. And um, yeah, I made a lot of trips to uh, China and the whole region. And um, let's see. So the next major thing is I went uh, back to the U.S. to get a degree in uh, a graduate degree in international business at the University of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, part of that was spending a year in Tokyo working uh, an internship, but it was like a regular job uh, and a marketing a development manager for a paper company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after I graduated uh, with that degree, I um, got a job at General Electric as a corporate marketing manager. Mm-hmm. And that was a very interesting period. I worked under Jack Welsh. And since I was in corporate uh, staff, I went to all the quarterly meetings meetings at headquarters with uh, Jack Welsh and such. So it was uh, quite interesting. But only a couple of weeks vacation a year, which I was not used to. Uh, so, no, you know, I was uh, so at that time in my early 30s. And uh, so I decided to quit and and um, come here and start teaching management. And uh, that was uh, 1991. So I've been teaching um, at Japanese University for about 28 years now. And I specialize in cross-cultural management, which, and I take a look at um, basically international human resource management, uh, about the psychological aspects of foreign language acquisition mm-hmm. and cultural adaptation. So in other words, uh, what, what characteristics uh, tend to coincide with somebody who is good at acquiring foreign languages to a high level mm-hmm. and uh, adapting to the culture, working in, working with people in different cultures. Um, and then that's the last 28 years during which I've continued uh, my language studies, mainly Asian languages. Um, I wrote a book in, uh, in Thai about Japanese companies in Thailand so I spent uh, a lot of time doing research there. And for 10 years, two or three months a year, I taught at the Chulungon University there. Mm-hmm. So I became very good in Thai. Um, so basically for Asian languages, I concentrated on, on Thai, Lao, Indonesian, Indonesian, Malay, uh, Vietnamese, uh, Korean, Japanese, of course, Chinese. And... Uh, then later, in recent years, Nepali and uh, Hindi, but I'm strong, much stronger than the, in Nepali uh, because I go trekking there all the time. Um, I just got back from uh, trekking in 
the Annapurna region and Marty Himmel um, for a couple of weeks during the winter break. Um, yeah, so uh, not just the Asian languages, but I went back to some European ones because uh, for, I, I took advantage of when I was going to a conference somewhere to learn the language if I didn't know it. So one was South Africa, and so I learned Afrikaans and a little bit of Zulu and Osa. But uh, that's just a little bit. My Afrikaans so is very good. It's quite easy to learn, knowing um, German, English, and I'd studied Dutch before too. But my Afrikaans is, my Afrikaans is better as, as my uh, Holmes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my Afrikaans is better. <laughs> um, and uh, in Greek, um, there was a conference in Greece. So I spent about uh, 500 hours studying Greek before I left. And then one year after that, I liked Greek so much that I spent the summer there uh, the following year learning Greek. Um, yeah, so basically the first part of my life to around age uh, 25, 18 to 25, first seven years of South America and Europe, uh, Eastern more than Western Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, thereafter, all here in Asia. Um and again, uh, oh, another language, I, I started picking up Slavic languages again uh, with the conference going to, with the polyglot gathering going to uh, Bratislava, I learned Slovak. And uh, Slovene was actually uh, the first uh, um, Slavic language I learned a bit of. Um, so I went back to Slovene for this conference this year in Ljubljana. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I would sum up my language repertoire as being, um, you know, the Germanic would be strong uh, for German, Afrikaans, and some Dutch, and Norwegian with a good understanding of uh, Swedish and Danish. Right. Um, and then the Romance languages, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, um, with a, a rudimentary understanding of Romanian and uh and Catalan and all, all the like Catalan Gallego. I mean, they're very simple for me to understand because. Oh, yeah. Once you learn one romance language, you pretty much can understand them all. Yeah, it would depend on how they're strategically placed, you know, like for, for Spanish and Portuguese. And, and French is kind of an oddball, you know, it's a, like if you speak Spanish or Portuguese, it's easier with Italian than it is with French, <laughs> even though France is in the middle there. You know, it's so funny because. I learned um, my first, well, aside from English, my first language was actually American Sign Language when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my wanted to teach me something because evidently people know I was smart. They just didn't know how I learned. So mm-hmm. because of me being visually impaired and because I was a large print user at the time, um, she taught me uh, sign language and I became fluent. But, you know, once you, if you don't use it, you lose a lot of it. When you say sign, if you're being visually impaired, though, doesn't that make sign? That's usually for the deaf. So, right. I mean, could you see the signs well enough? Yeah, at the time, yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, because my my visual acuity was was I could still read um, print and large print at the time. Oh, okay. Uh huh. I'm, right. I'm partial, so my mm-hmm. eyes, my good eye, but mm-hmm. right eye, I have no sight since birth. Because I was born mm-hmm. around 13 ounces at birth 42 years ago. So mm-hmm. they did say. Just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. 
So so now um, I still see the bigger picture. Like I could still see people in cars and things, and I could still read like the stop sign if it says stop sign. You know, uh-huh. it's big enough for me to read. But if you, uh-huh. but if you ask me what if we're parked in front of your house, I can tell you that we're at your house and what your house looks like. But I couldn't read your address if that makes any sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's more it's more the the fine print. Like I I can I can tell you. Like I can read like the cover title of a book, like mm-hmm. a track book. But once we open up that book, I can't read it. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about your present situation or before? Oh, my present. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like I see three feet in front of me, distance wise, counting fingers. So I can mm-hmm. read first three letters or five letters on the eye chart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before it gets difficult, and so mm-hmm. so um. My visual acuity is like three feet in front of me, counting fingers. Mm-hmm. Distance, my readable vision. So I mostly do auditory, and uh, I do some braille, but ninety percent of it's audio. But I I grew up in print, so mm-hmm. I to read and write at four, and then I learned braille at eight. But because I was a large print user, I mm-hmm. did print up until I was twenty nine, and, mm-hmm. and then I. I was still doing audio throughout the course of my schooling, but because it's vision, you know, here in the U.S., they make you use it. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at it as, well, you know, you're in a print world. So, you know, but I, I knew how to type and I knew how to do all this stuff. I still know how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mostly, I'm recording this on my iPad Pro right now. So, mm-hmm. so I'm able to, you know, um, utilize adaptive technology or technology off the shelf with with um, text-to-speech so right that's how yeah. i pretty much learn all my languages is by ear so mm-hmm. like i'm learning cantonese right now i just got finished with chapter four cantonese like how to tell my directions and where i'm going and you know mm-hmm. things of that nature and you know mm-hmm. your basic readings and i'm picking it up pretty well i tried mandarin but i just like the sound of cantonese a little bit better yeah, Cantonese is is uh, quite interesting. I've I've studied some Cantonese, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, certain things I understand pretty well. But usually, a conversation between two people, I don't know what the subject they're talking about. I really can't follow it. But uh, you know, my standard, or as people say, Mandarin is uh, is very high level because I studied Chinese literature, right. and also I've used. Uh, Chinese in, in teaching uh, for a number of years. I was teaching two weeks, two weekends a year in Shanghai and in Taipei on a, in a EMBA course. But Cantonese, yeah, I really um, like the sound of it and I like uh, the pop music from before. I haven't listened to it in recent years, but I used to listen to a lot of Cantonese pop music. You know, like so. I'm actually proud of myself. I watched a Cantonese um, show that was on Netflix over the weekend. And I was so excited because I had um, voiceover on my Apple TV. So I was able to put the English subtitles on and have it read to me. And like mm-hmm. the, I, I couldn't stop watching the show. I was so addicted to the mm-hmm. show because it was about these three girls who graduated college and they were dealing with life and love. And one, one person was dealing with a long-distance relationship from, you know, being in um, Hong Kong. And, mm-hmm. and then he, the boyfriend was in Australia, and they 
were having their relationship and then the other girl her father was ill with heart disease and diabetes and was about to lose their family business you know she was rich so she was used to spending money and 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 then the other girl she had gotten married to somebody else because her ex had cheated on her and then I started learning about how they find that you know, if you cheat on somebody, then you're disrespecting the honor of that person and the trust and all that. And she couldn't forgive him. So she married somebody else and come to find out after so long, he was cheating on her with somebody <laughs> five years. I mean, it was just, and I was like, I put it in my favorites and I said, I'm going to continue. I'm going to watch this because I, I could actually explain to everybody what this show was about. And it was only one season. And so yeah. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to use this as my material for once yeah. I up to a certain point, I'll just turn off the subtitles and I'll just listen to it in Cantonese. Yeah. I, well, when you, when you have the subtitles on and you have double audio, you have the English and the Cantonese coming at the same time? Um, yes. And that doesn't confuse you? No. Okay. I guess you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well see, the, audio, the, the subtitle was louder than the Cantonese. Uh-huh. So I was, because my Cantonese is limited right now, only after a month, that I decided, okay, well, I need to know what this story is about. So why don't I do it in English? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, definitely. I mean, I've used, I use that, that method. Um, like, for example, when I first came to Japan, um, there was a movie. Of course, we were using video cassette players uh, back then. I remember that. Uh, there was a simple movie I, I, I just uh, taped off the TV. I didn't have subtitles, but I, uh, I could tell from the story what was going on. And my, and, but my Japanese was conversational when I got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I listened. I must have seen that movie, must have watched it at least 30 times right. uh, until I could get all the subtleties of what they were saying. And... Uh, so when you become very familiar with the storyline and such, you can concentrate on more on how things are being said and what's being said. So, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because I, I still am, you know, visual to some extent. Um, I Now that I'm learning Cantonese, I'm able to, like, really understand the grammar structure of how the wording is, depending mm-hmm. on what they're trying, what they're saying, you know, mm-hmm. like as far as the subject matter and everything and, you know, the direct and indirect object. I figured that out real quickly. And someone was like, Cantonese is hard. I was like, watch me. I'm going to speak this at a B2 level. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm very motivated. And um, I'm also learning Turkish right now, too. So, so um, but my, my goal is I do want to speak Egyptian Arabic at some point. I do know a little bit. And I do want to speak Japanese. Um, mainly because I love Japanese horror movies. I studied film in, in college, um, mm-hmm. producing and screenwriting at the Los Angeles Film School about 13 years ago. And I graduated with honors, and I was the first visually impaired person in the labs to go. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently before that, I graduated from Kent State with my bachelor's degree in theater studies. So, mm-hmm. so um, I pretty much... Um, you know, come from that whole entertainment background and I like literature and the read and and, mm-hmm. and right now because of the Cantonese, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to learn the the Braille characters for Chinese because there is no Cantonese script 
and Braille, but there are there are the characters for the tones. Yeah. That I could learn that someone told me that I could learn online. And I said, okay, that's fine, but is it going to confuse me later on because I'm speaking Cantonese, but I'm reading? Well, do, do they have a, a standard Chinese in Ping? The, you know, I, the alphabet? I, I'm going to see about that. Someone was explaining it to me today because I wanted to read The Little Prince, and then someone said, well, Harry Potter is in Mandarin. And I'm like, okay, let me see if anybody I can you know find that out because I I go by audio too but yeah the more vocabulary I know the more you know because I pick up things very quickly once I'm motivated I I soak things like a sponge you know I like to learn about the culture and history and Mm -hmm. you know the customs I mean okay if I don't ever make it to China okay fine I have enough people in Akron where we have a large Asian community and that was another reason I wanted to speak Cantonese was mm. uh, we have an Asian community here, right. and I would like to communicate. And you know, they speak Cantonese, they speak Japanese, Vietnamese, Korean, Thai. So I said I would only choose two language, two Asian languages to learn, and that would be Cantonese and Japanese. Uh huh. Right. At some point, so yeah, yeah. I would spend a year on Cantonese and Turkish, and I'm, I'm brushing my French up. I do speak Russian. I speak very good. Spanish because I took it in college and it was all by ear even though I didn't want to speak Spanish but it was offered at my community college in Cleveland so I didn't have a choice but to take it because they didn't have <laughs> languages mm-hmm. so it was just like and they wanted to send me to Mexico and Cuba to study for like a month because they were like you'll be fluent in a month because you're really that good and I'm like I like the culture aspects of Spanish so I liked the dancing, the food, the people, the music Right. Yeah. And then wanting to speak it. Right. Yeah. In the United States, it's it's drilled in your head. You need to speak Spanish, and I was like, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. You know. My my language journey though has been one which has been intensely mixed with uh, travel and you know living and working and studying in the country. So for me, it's quite a different experience. I guess uh, you need a lot of motivation when you have to seek out more the opportunities you know, to engage in the language. Um, I mean, in my, in my case, uh, you know, I was uh, most of the time in a situation, you know, for the target language I was, uh, I needed to use it or it was helpful to use it. Right. Um, seems like more that your interest is uh, just like a passion for certain language, culture, et cetera. And, um, so even even though it may not be so pressing to to learn it, you you want to do it anyway. So I mean, I have a combination of both there. But uh, yeah, I, that's, mean, I, love that's speak, I love to speak the other languages that I'm currently learning. That part is my main aim is to be able to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. However, on the Spanish front, I'm more like to sing to this to the music, mm-hmm. like to the different artists that I like. Instead, uh-huh. more so than have a conversation. Right. And, and I guess because I lived in California for three years, I tried to speak Spanish. Um, I got a lot of negative feedback. You know, oh. And it, it just, it did not, it wasn't the language I wanted to choose. I would have rather chosen Italian or French or Russian at the time as opposed to Spanish. Mm-hmm. 
And so I had to kind of live with the fact I needed it for a degree requirement more so than anything. But then I realized after living with a Mexican family for 10 months, just how amazing the people were, the culture. And so it kind of changed my mind a little bit. I still loving it. I mean, I liked certain aspects of it. I just, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I was just forced. Mm-hmm. Are, are you from Akron, Ohio, or are you just living there now? I'm just living here now. I'm from Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was born in Akron, Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, my whole, all my brothers and sisters were. Um, we left when I was three months old to go to Florida. So I've been to Akron, Ohio. After that, um, as an adult, but I really don't know the place very well, I went to Firestone once uh, for work mm-hmm. when I was working at GE, mm-hmm. and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but, I, live the, I live on the west side of uh, Akron. But, yeah, I've been, I've been writing on Akron, Ohio on forms for all my life, but I really don't know the place. <laughs> yeah, it'll be four years and. In- October actually so but I mean I enjoy that it has such a global community here like there's people from all over you know really? East mm. Latin America Mexico Puerto Rico um you got people from Brazil and Argentina Lima Peru Asia you know Vietnam and Thailand mainland China what? What percentage of the Akron population is are, are immigrants? Um, I'm not really for sure. The only reason I know about this is because I volunteered at a nonprofit organization for a year called Project Learn in Summit County, where they help immigrants, um, you know, establish themselves inside of Akron. Okay, so you, you had the opportunity to run into all of them, but yes. uh, they they still. Uh, may not be, I mean, what, 5%, 10% or something? I have no idea. I'm just wondering, if you go to a like, place like New York City, then, you know, you get to a much higher percentage in certain areas, you know? Right. Well, you know, Ohio's being flooded with a lot of people from all over, especially the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I've met people from Cambodia, people from West Africa, people from Ghana and Uruguay and and, mm-hmm. and you know you Nepali and mm-hmm. parts of India and Afghanistan and Pakistan and yeah. Myanmar and yeah, yeah. it's it in listening to some of these people's stories yeah you know it just makes you think like I have nothing to complain about yeah yeah, yeah. well here here where I live in Japan um. You know, since I'm at the university, I see foreign students. The number of foreigners are increasing um, because of the aging population. They're deciding to give more uh, work visas and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still a very small percentage compared to uh, places like in the U.S. I mean, uh, we're talking about 1% or 2% of the population at most of the big cities being, you know, um, non-Japanese. So this is a pretty homogeneous place I live in. But yeah. it's all it's all different from you know my background. So now I'm I'm just curious, like, um, like you moved to you know Japan and have been there for for several decades. Nineteen eighty, um, yeah. Yeah. So 
So I'm just curious, like, as far as like interracial relationships over there, like, is it is it is it more popular over there, or is it less popular over there as opposed to in America or Western Europe? Um. Well, how do I answer this question? Um, so it's quite it's quite different situation concerning um, different cultures, different ethnicities, different races, etc. Because, okay, so first of all, the Japanese um, have this uh, kind of mythological understanding of their background. I mean, it happens in most countries about what is a pure Japanese. So, um, you know, they've mixed with uh, other Asians uh, throughout, you know, the centuries. But there's kind of like this Japanese blood idea. Uh, and uh, the attitude towards non-Japanese has uh, obviously changed over the years. I mean, there was a time of isolation uh, not that long ago, just the same. Uh, so I would say nowadays, uh, Japanese society as in general is uh, open to uh, non-Japanese, but... Uh, some of the older people, uh, so meaning 60s, 70s, 80s, 70s and 80s and 90s here, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you know, they, they grew up with some certain prejudice against mainly Koreans. Uh, history there, yeah. Um, uh, Chinese, the thing with Chinese nowadays, Um, uh, Chinese and starting to travel the world and not being very savvy world travelers and sometimes not behaving uh, as they should in Japan. Japan has uh, very strict uh, social rules, like the way you should uh, act in public. You don't eat food walking down the street. Uh, things like in the U.S., you, they, they, you know, what's wrong with this? But you just don't eat when you're walking. Right, you uh, respect their food. Yeah. Um, you don't, you know, you stand in line uh, properly. You don't cut in line and things like this. You know, these little simple things. Uh, you don't throw garbage anywhere. Uh, you know, these uh, things that might be expected in a number of countries. But uh, um, anyhow, there's some friction uh, from that. Um, but in when it comes to uh, non-Asians, I mean, in general, I think... Uh, People coming here feel that the Japanese are extremely polite and welcoming. That's mm -hmm. the impression they'll get. Um, having lived here most of my life, um, I've, it's never been a negative that, um, you know, I'm a, a basically European background. Um, it's sometimes uh, been a positive in the sense of opening doors and such. Like when I worked in industry here, it was easy to make cold calls and and uh, you know make appointments because people were curious. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I for me it's been it's been quite a positive, and um, I've been involved in uh, traditional festival here, Yamakasa, for many years, mm -hmm. um, which is why. One week of carrying a shrine around the uh, um, city or a certain area of the city and such, um, 
but anyway, it's a very traditional uh, festival. So, I mean, I've seen all sides of Japan, and generally, I would say um, there's there's no issues of any kind of discrimination against me. Um, there have been foreigners who get discriminated against, like uh, landlords and not wanting to rent to foreigners and things like that. I hear this all the time. Um, but I think it's more in, in like in Tokyo or Osaka where they where they've had issues, you know. And or right. so yeah, I mean I would say that um uh, ethnic relations, race relations, etc. in Japan um uh, uh have a lot less friction than North America. Uh but there's also a lot less. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still a very homogeneous society. I mean, you don't mainly when you're walking in any big city or small or in, in the countryside, rarely are you going to see somebody who doesn't look Japanese. Right. You know, so does that give you an idea? <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, because I'm, I'm such a big history buff. And, and poli sci buff because I, I was eventually a poli sci major and so I changed it mm-hmm. uh, and decided just to have that as a hobby. Um, but I, I guess for a lot of people, you know, they have misconceptions of what Japan's like and, you know, I mean, especially some older people here in the States. You know, mm-hmm. never like traveled outside of the United States. You have all these misconceptions about all these countries from what you hear on the news. And, you know, like I told someone, I stopped watching the news almost a year ago. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I listen to foreign news in, in, in whatever language I'm going to listen to it in. And I Ooh. listen to French. I listen to France 24. I listen to Russian news, Italian news. Um, you know, anything I can get my hands on that's not America. Because mm-hmm. right now I'm not really happy with what's going on and um, it's it's pretty bad over here yeah you have your government still shut down yes you have some imbeciles president that's that's okay to say in your podcast (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, trust me i've already talked about him in a previous podcast um and i i feel sorry for the people who voted for him yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. But it's not too bad. We got another year after this. And yeah. 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 But I'm just curious, like when what what is your like if you were to give seven tips from beginner to high intermediate learners on you know learning a language, saying that you've learned the languages in the countries that you you know, mm-hmm. and studying in. What would those seven tips be? Hmm. Well, you're saying from beginner to intermediate, so let me see if it crosses over all of them. So I think important is uh, having, you know, a, a strong motivation, a passion is best, right? If you have a passion for what you're doing. So um, I mean, is that really a tip? Either you have it or you don't have it, you might think, but perhaps somebody uh, who is not strongly motivated could uh, consider what would motivate them more, perhaps. I, I, I don't know really. I've always been strongly motivated, but unless you have the desire to learn, 
um, you know, the, uh, and uh, in the strongest form, passion, you won't make uh, significant fast progress. I mean, you could force yourself to learn it, but you won't speak it from the heart. So uh, it's kind of the, the emotions are a very uh, strong part of it. Um, this another uh, tip. Uh, I don't know if this is one really was a tip. Make, give yourself motivation. <laughs> Find your motivation. So tip number two might be um, do it. Do it often. You you study. Uh, if you're in the country, obviously um, there's a situation. Probably it's a situation where you where you have to use the language. But like I see people here in Japan who've been here many years. And they really don't speak well, so they limit themselves to, you know, certain interactions and don't go uh, deeper. Um, so it would be mm, do it often, challenge yourself often to learn something uh, new every day. So if you're not in the country and you're studying, so if you can afford a half hour or an hour every day, um, the frequency is very important. So just studying six hours on a Saturday and then not doing anything till next Saturday. Um, yeah, it helps, but uh, it's much more effective if you spend 20, 30 minutes each day during the week. And uh, the whole talk was less than six hours. Um, so consistency and frequency. Um, let me see a third one. Um, I guess the third one kind of relates back to the first one and motivation, passion. Find something you like in the language, uh, like whether it be music or you know watching a movie with the subtitles and trying to uh, watch it without the subtitles, things like that. I mean, find them, find something in the languages that interests you. That's especially applicable to those at higher levels, intermediate and above, um, so that you're not just reviewing, you know textbooks and such right. um, so for example um in my case uh i've always got into music so uh, looking back at certain periods in my life i'd be i would there are times where i'd be mainly listening to just one type of music and for example brazilian music uh, that stuck with me long beyond just being in brazil for years uh, i spent many many hours listening to uh, Brazilian singers of that time, like Chico mm -hmm. Veloso. This is from the 70s, you know, early 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and in recent, uh, last year or so, I listen to Nepali music all the time. When I go to the gym, mm -hmm. mainly I'm watching uh, you know, music videos, <laughs> Nepali music videos. Uh, and I'm more into, not, not the Bollywood style, but I get into Nepali rap, for example. And it's melodic rap. It's it's uh, it's hip hop. I I really like Nepali hip hop and acoustic, um, and uh, you know it's really good for for learning too. Um, or like for uh, Vietnamese, I just uh, took a twenty five day motorcycle tour of the north again, and uh, so Mi Dam is one of my favorite singers and. There's two songs of hers that I listen to at least once or twice every time I'm on a step machine working out in the gym for about an hour because it just energizes me. I, I love her music. So music's a big thing for me. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, so um, 
Right when I was uh, improving my Spanish, so I was really I we're talking about quite advanced level back in the, in the mid seventies. I'm traveling around. I read literature from every country, including Borges from Argentina, which was tough, but El hijo El hijo de ladron from Chile, which is quite interesting. And mm-hmm. for for Brazil, I read all the works of Jorge Amado uh, in Portuguese. Um, yeah, and then, of course, I told you I studied uh, also uh, Slavic literature and Chinese literature. Okay, so basically the general tip getting back to that is find something that you like in the language, okay? Right. Uh, and then uh, the fourth, depending on the language, <clears throat> um, some uh, there's certain languages uh, sometimes write it, uh, for example, Thai is an example. I, I've I've known people who lived in Thailand for a long time and still can't read and write. When it's not that difficult, uh, it's challenging, but it's not that difficult. And uh, Thai is a language where there's so many sounds that don't exist in English. Right. Even the only language that might help you is Lao, which is very similar to Thai. Yes. Uh, have to learn these different sounds and the way you do it is by learning the alphabet so basically you have 31 vowel sounds and oh, you wow. have to, you have to distinguish them you you have uh, sounds which you break down to only set the end of uh, phonemes so tie which make it challenging but you i i find that it's important to learn to read right now when it comes to chinese and in japanese um like when if you're reading Chinese, what tone pronunciation is? So it's not the same important I think about wanting to read or not. It takes a big effort to learn to read in Chinese and Japanese. Now, in my case, you know, I studied Chinese literature here in Japan, so I had a good head start. And then right. I teach Japanese. I've been teaching in, in management-related courses, and including economics and and uh, international accounting in Japanese. So. You know, I, I have to know how to read and write. <laughs> oh, I mean, basically, you're above C2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, when it, mm-hmm. when it, in, like in Japanese, uh, the, I, I explain to students the meaning of Japanese terms and such because they're concepts. Okay. This, um, but... I may I may make some simple mistakes at times, right. uh, but I I know many I know vocabulary that I explain to my wife who's a native speaker, you know, right. uh, just because it's esoteric, you know, you it's you, you may have heard it but you don't know what it actually means. So yeah, right. I've been, yeah, no, I've been I've been using uh, you know Japanese a, a long time in this way. Um, I don't know. I, that was you want more. That was like four tips. Uh, I don't know how good I'm getting at these tips. Um, let me see. Uh, also, I, I would say kind of find a, pay attention to to uh, what you like the most: listening or reading or writing. It's good to combine them all. Um, you, I think. Um, I'm like you, and I like to listen a lot. Um, and you know, I so I, I prefer listening. So uh, I listen once I get to an intermediate, and this right. relates 
after finding material. Then I'll listen to um, broadcast, like podcast, but podcast like uh, SBS Radio from Australia. Do you know it? Oh, I am addicted to that. I have it in all the languages I'm learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, then you're very familiar. You can download it easily. Uh, right. Some we have a big uh, garden orchard, many different types of trees and such, uh, and so. Sometimes I, uh, sometimes a year I might be in the garden for five or six hours a day for a number of days in a row, and um, so I'm listening to it all the time, and uh, yeah, I think um, you know if you find that listening is really, uh, you know, go for it, and then challenge your attention because your mind drifts, as you know. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because when. When you had said you needed an hour, what I decided to do was I still had everything open. And I went to my Mango app and I finished out chapter four of Cantonese on my Mango app. So mm-hmm. I could get it done. And then I said, well, I'll take a break from that because I just did chapter four for the week and I'll pick up my um, Turkish tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm on chapter four in Turkish, but it's like nine lessons plus the review. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I, I do like a lesson a day. I'll break the chapter down. And I'll do a lesson a day and then I'll do the review because that way I'm able to absorb it in smaller chunks. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for me to be able to understand the grammar and all of that and the, and the pronunciation and so forth. And You just use a key word there, chunk, which is you're talking about uh, breaking your lesson down and those chunks and learning the chunks. Chunks are very important terms, not just in terms of like a part of a lesson, but also some people, when they're especially beginners, sometimes they make a vocabulary list. And uh, I, I find that if you're just trying to memorize one word, it, it doesn't work well unless you unless you really have it in context. So um, my, when it comes to chunks, learn in chunks, learn a phrase, learn, you know, right. It is, it is, they are phrases, but the whole thing is, the whole conversation is broken up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Some, well, um, in certain, in certain languages, I've concentrated on, on memorizing like a whole conversation. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'll try that a few times. And also, uh, I remember um, in the case of uh, when I was reading literature, mm-hmm. um, sometimes I would memorize a paragraph I really liked, you know. This is for advanced advanced level, you know. Right, right. And, and um, yeah, something when you get something at a higher level and you can not just benefit from the vocabulary but the way of expression – and you know, of course, you have you know, syntax and grammars all in there when it's when it's a full chunk and such. Yeah, I mean, because I was jumping up and down when I was. Uh, my whole goal was I wanted to be able to read Russian literature, listen to Russian literature like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and stuff, and Chekhov. And I'm, you know, I, I love Russian. It's like one of my favorite languages next to French of all time. And so, I. For some reason, recently, this was last year, like I think October, some November, sometime around there, I was just laying across my bed like I am right now, and I was listening to the Russian version of Binary Mir, mm-hmm. and and I turned around and 
I started to understand after 45 months of independent learning Russian myself mm-hmm. binary mirror. And I literally started crying because that was something that I wanted to do really badly. And mm-hmm. I was like, your, your Russian is really good. Even though, I mean, yes, the case system is a total nightmare. But, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, the majority of the Russians I speak with understand what I'm saying. I've gotten to the point now where I can have a conversation with a native Russian speaker that does not speak English, which is good for me. Mm -hmm. It it forces me to be able to apply what I've learned over the past few years Mm -hmm. and and be able to really critically think about what the person is saying to me. And Mm -hmm. they were like, after two hours, I didn't even have a headache. Mm -hmm. They they sat there and they said, do you realize your Russian is really good? Mm -hmm. And I said, I literally start crying mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, that was something that was important to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I can actually understand like presentations that Putin gives. And I actually spent the whole year doing nothing but speaking the language. Then I flipped it around the next year and did nothing but listen to Putin. And because I find him to be a very good speaker. <laughs> and so, so. Yeah. I, I would sit and listen to his speeches and I listen to the press conferences, especially his state to the state address. It's like three hours long, you know, and I mean, there was parts of I would be crying because people's houses had burned down and, yeah. uh, you know, they didn't have anything and he was giving money for that. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, it was just it was a very cathartic moment. Can you imagine uh, an ESL learner trying to learn English listening to Trump's speeches? <laughs> oh, you know what? You, do you know that a Japanese person learns English by listening to President Obama and the Japanese made it a course? <laughs> All the speeches they made into a course. For yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen the uh, here at the bookstore. Not so much lately, but a couple of years ago they were selling uh Basically, Obama's speeches for study. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's such a great speaker. Yeah. I mean, you, got, you got to find, I mean, I know people called me communist because I was learning Russian. I was like, dude, those are the first people that welcomed me into the language learning community. I'm not going to sit there and. You, you know, you know, what's interesting is that, um, so I lived, uh, you know, in, in, um, basically Eastern Europe at the end of the Cold War, right? 79 to 81. So mm-hmm. I, and when solidarity broke out, okay? So we went on strike at the university, et cetera. And, but I, even before that, I was in the old Soviet Union two times. Mm-hmm. And then one time after. And uh, having, you know, lived in Switzerland, studied in Switzerland and worked in Germany and such, the Eastern Europe was so much more welcoming uh, to somebody with American citizenship than Western Europe. And in, and Russia was like crazy. When I traveled around Russia, uh, everybody, you know, uh, I was, you're, you're being so exotic coming from the West. You know, they want to know more about you and take you to parties and kind of show you off. This is my friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, um, you know, it was... It, this whole, this whole, you know, commie thing type thing. I mean, I lived, I, I lived, I lived in Poland, you know, during those two years, and add that, add to that to travel in Russia. The, the, the brainwashing in, you know, the West, especially the U.S. about, you know, those commies, et cetera. It's just, 
crazy regular people. I mean, this right has committed has committed so many sins in their history. Right. Uh, it's like uh, who who is a real boogeyman? Who's the real bad one? You know, it's hard to say. So as a, as a, as a system, I saw how it didn't work very well. But neither does capitalism in the U.S., right. where the poverty rates are extremely high, the medical care is uh, terrible compared to here in Japan. I I go to I go to the dentist. I pay only like uh, you know five ten dollars to get my teeth cleaned because I have you know my insurance and my insurance doesn't cost me an arm and a leg. And the most that I can pay in in Japan, even if you have open heart surgery, anything, the most you have to pay in one month is seven hundred fifty dollars. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's, damn, it's not bad. When I say one month is, let's say that you're in the hospital more than a month. Once you go into the next month, your limit is another $750. So people like to schedule surgery at the beginning of the month. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because, like, I was telling my, my aunt asked me, what did I want to do with all these languages? And I said, my whole goal is to be able to communicate with people, whether it's in Italian, Dutch, French, Japanese, Cantonese, Russian, Arabic. I'm considering learning Swahili because I do have a nice percentage of West African in my bloodline. Mm-hmm. And the main language is Swahili. I'm considering it, but I haven't really thought about it, like decided if I really want to right now because I really, I'm really concentrating on brushing my French up in Italian and then concentrating on my Turkish and Cantonese and then going on to Japanese and um, Egyptian Arabic. Um, and mainly because I took a world history course just for shits and giggles like four years ago and I fell in love with French literature and French history and China and Asian history and the Middle East and Russian history I care less about history in the, the rest of the West <laughs> you know it was just like I mean but I felt like I want to get to know these people I want to be able to speak their languages I want to be able to you know I mean if I Russian was my main language because I've always been in love with Russia. And, and I mean, I literally had a conversation with someone from they were living in Toronto, Canada, and we had a Skype call and they were just shocked that I knew all this stuff about their history. And I said, you know why? Because I care. Because we're all global citizens. And at the end of the day, you don't need to go to the country to have a conversation with someone from the other side of the world. Yeah, especially with the technology today. Yeah, yeah, so it's I, different when I first started traveling and and uh, were you supposed to response? You told somebody you're going to be in such a city a month from now, and they sent you a letter. You went to the post office and picked it up. <laughs> that right. was vacation. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm just I'm just curious, like, um, since you're you are still dabbling in you know certain languages, what are you using now in order to you know achieve your your goal of, of you know what like, what languages what languages I'm working on or what what I how I, I what materials do you use? Um, depends on the language. So, for example, um, at the end of next month, my wife and I are going to former Yugoslavia. So, basically, starting off in Vienna, going to Hungary and uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, Montenegro, Croatia, and Slovenia. And so basically Slavic language. I'll brush up on my Hungarian, but my Hungarian's not that deep, but I understand all of them to quite high levels. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I read Slavic literature and I know Eastern, Western, Southern Slav. So in this case, um, I'm using actually colloquial uh, equation just to review the grammar, going through it quickly, and then I'm listening to SBS radio and um, you know other things off the internet, uh, like the easy easy equation where they're doing you know programs um, in all in Croatian. Yeah, have you seen that series or listened yeah. to? Yes, I, I, I've done easy Russian, easy French, yeah, easy okay. Italian. Um, I'm doing easy Cantonese right now. But uh, this year in, all, in August, I'll be trekking in an area called Dopo or Dopa, region of Nepal, whereas it's mainly Tibetans. And um, my guide going with me is Tamang, and mm-hmm. I've studied Tamang language, which is a Tibetan language uh, spoken in Nepal related to Tibetan. Um, so when I when I study a language like Tibetan the prob- uh, or, or Tamang, the problem is uh, you don't have much material. So right. I use I use master's thesis on, there's a master's thesis on Tamang grammar and things like that. And then I two, but the different dialects of it. And so I, I inquire with them. So it depends on the language. Tibetan I have a lot of material on. Um, um, but I, I have my favorite one is just a is a book that has based kind of like a phrase book, but explains the grammar and such too. But it's very practical. But I have you know, much more um, in depth books about it. So it depends on you know the the language that I'm that I'm using and what other languages do I know that are similar. Right. To, uh, you know that that's materials because i can use i can use for for example and now that i'm i can listen to bosnian croatian slovenian and serbian on sbs and follow the whole story Uh, and the easiest with croatian and serbian um because that's what i've been exposed to most but i but you know i have no problem understanding through context good because of the high you know they relate because one croatian serb croatian was basically my first slavic language the, right. which is my strongest, uh, followed by Russian. You know, so, yeah, so it really depends on, on how much you can, like, like if I, when I want to study Catalan, okay, I listen to it, I say, oh, wait a second, I understand already. Right. <laughs> and I went to the, went to the advanced course of, I, I got a book in Ukrainian, you know, with the, with the um, uh, audio part to it, and I went to the very end lesson and listened to it, and I could understand it. It's just, uh, yeah, right. I don't, actively can use it the same way you know right. you know it's funny you say that because like i can read and understand romanian even though i don't speak romanian i can i actually at some point i don't know how this happened but i was watching a dutch document not dutch a danish documentary on the danish royal family and this is 10 30 at night mind you and for some reason my brain i felt my brain click and I was able to interpret what they were saying from Danish to English. Like I could understand 90% of what it was. I never spoke Danish a day in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, and it's... I mean, it was the same thing for like Norwegian too. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, this is like crazy. And a friend of mine had speak some Icelandic and I understood what he said. And I didn't even like, I've never learned Icelandic a day in my life. So I was like, Wow, 
this is pretty cool. <laughs> well, co- context is so important, and um, you know there there are there are times where I don't uh, uh, in a, a certain language I won't I won't catch something which is not that difficult. It's just I don't have the context and just, uh, what's going on. I I am, don't understand the situation well enough, but. Uh, other times, um, you know, what you're what you're saying now is, uh, yeah, it, like uh, for example, in um, Albanian, uh, I had an Albanian student, and and he had something written in Albanian, and and I, there was you know it was an article, and I was reading it, and I and I could understand it just through you know knowledges of many languages in in, in general. But then if he said, like, oh, what are you going to do this afternoon? Of course, I wouldn't understand. <laughs> you know, right. it's, yeah, it's, you know, and it's funny because, like, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I have seen a lot of polyglots where they've said they've studied so many languages or they, they've studied certain languages. I would just use the number eight as an example. Mm-hmm. And, and then they said, well, you know, I speak like six of these languages at a pretty decent level. The other the other three I, I could speak, but, you know, I would have to brush up a little bit. And the ones that I studied just a little bit, I don't really remember at all. Yet 90% of the languages that they say they can speak are all from the Romance and Germanic families. Well, um, I did a presentation at the Polygon Gathering. Yeah, so you can go listen to it Um mm-hmm. It's on YouTube right now. It's called the Numbers Game. Okay. So take a you know take a look at that one. Um, it's ba- basically I dealt with this issue. You know, I, I was I I said okay, let's take a look at this. You know, what what do the numbers actually mean? And so I have one polyglot speaking. I think I gave him thirty two languages, and the other one twenty two languages. But to go through it to show that the one who spoke 22 had much broader uh, linguistic knowledge, language uh, variety. So, uh, therefore, had much greater potential to understand many more languages than the one that had 32, which had, for example, uh, 17 of those were Slavic languages. <laughs> so, well, yeah, yeah, because I, I noticed that about a lot of them. Or, like, okay, I, I got my dream polyglot to come on my show, Moses McCormick. People have been trying to get Moses on their show for years mm-hmm. because he's that busy. Mm-hmm. The, the last time I saw Moses on anybody's channel was several years ago when he did an interview with Steve Kaufman from Link. Uh-huh. Okay, the guy is freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I actually am trying out his method of learning more than one language at one time because I'm one of those people I like to learn so much. I'm like a sponge. I don't mix up languages. Um, I like to think in the language as I'm speaking. I don't like to reverse back to English for anything. I hate my, I hate bilingual dictionaries. I'd rather have it all monolingual. I don't like graded readers with text on one side and English on it because all it's going to do is make me want to go back to translating in my head. And mm-hmm. I, really, I really want to absorb as much of the language as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go on that end of it. Yet, I, I mean, the guy spends time 
breaking down the sentence. You know, he'll do chapter one and then he'll do chapter eight. Then he'll do chapter four. Then he'll do chapter ten. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? And like he'll he'll do this process. Like he broke down. Like he said, he spent five hours on one language. Mm-hmm. Twice a week, and then he spent, and that was just in the morning. Then the next, then he had afternoon for something else. Then he went mm-hmm. to the next language at night, and he did it. He did like four languages a week, and I think it was like four days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, some of these languages, you'd be like, really? Like he speaks Georgian, Malay, Bass. All... It, it it blows my mind. Uh-huh. You know the, the the amount of motivation and, and 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 you know he has to to do it, uh-huh. and so I I mean like he's one one person I can pluck through my head like Luca Lampriello is another who uh-huh. who I I mean I was shocked this guy went and learned Polish and then wrote a book in Polish, uh-huh. you know and he didn't have he learned all this stuff from his home in Rome, yeah. You know, so I just, I mean, some people, like, oh, who is it? Um, another, Ollie Richards is another person, which I had on my podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he actually said, yeah, I study like 10 languages, but two of them I don't remember. The other three, I don't get to speak that often, which is Japanese and Cantonese and Arabic. But he's actually in Hong Kong right now. And um, so he's writing his next course for Italian. Uh-huh. And then, um, in, but his Italian's amazing. His his Japanese is incredible. His Cantonese, I'm just like, oh my God. Like, you know, it, it, I was just impressed. I mean, of course he knows, you know, the four Romance languages. Mm-hmm. Minus Romanian and I don't understand why people leave off Romanian. That is the well. Well, in in my case, it's a language I've <clears throat> I've studied some, and you know, I was in Romania twice. But we're talking uh, thirty-five and close to forty years ago. Right. Um, so, uh, and then I had a friend from Romania. So whenever I brush up, I jump to the textbook. Then you know, um, once I uh, get into uh, studying the language for a number of hours, then I can listen to something like SBS and get more of it. But what I stand understand Romanian SBS is just totally different than that, than Slavic languages because the Slavic languages I actually. Uh, Always between ninety to a hundred percent of you know what's going on, but uh, but you know Romanian is uh, further away from uh, like like the closest I would say would be Italian to it, but um, yeah, it, it has Slavic influences too. But you know the diet and things like that. But uh, yeah. Um, in the legends of Romanesque, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I, I spoke a little bit of Romanian in Nepal two weeks ago. <laughs> there was a guy from Moldova on Moldova on the on the bus, and uh, and but I, I think he was a Russian from Moldova, so I don't know how well he actually spoke it. We just said a few words, and we spoke in Romanian, then we spoke Russian. 
Yeah, that's, you know, and it's so funny because I have a lot of Russian friends and I have a friend that she's autistic and she's learning Chinese and Russian right now. She works for a Chinese um, English company out of Beijing right now online and her daughter is autistic too. Mm -hmm. I mean, she speaks Spanish, you know, some Italian, French, Romanian, she's learning Mm -hmm. Russian and, and, and Mandarin at the moment. I mean, she has all these other languages she wants to learn. It's on her bucket list, like Vietnamese and Hungarian and freaking daggone Irish and and, I, and Polish, I think. And I said, I, I think that's like totally cool. But I, I do have to be somewhat realistic in my own language learning journey as to because I look at the city that I'm in and the people that are around me and who I want to communicate with. Yeah, I mean, that's an important part. Again, in, in my case, um, there's no language that I, I haven't had a direct use for. In other words, I was, I've always concentrated on languages which I'm going to use coming up soon. I'm going to that country or something like that, or right. uh, somebody's visiting me, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. you know, that's that's always been. I find I find that much more motivating because, uh, you know, if I can. If you really want to learn a language, um, then you need to create also the situation to use it to make it more fulfilling. Oh, but yeah, you know, um, we're, I think we've got an hour and 13 minutes now, so I have to wrap this up here. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, no problem. So we can get back together sometime now that we know how this app works. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I probably will be picking, like, a few people for my 100th episode um, mm. to, come, to come on and talk and, you know, like, let me know what's going on with them and their language learning. Because it'll probably be after the Polyglot Gathering. Because mm-hmm. that's around my birthday weekend. Okay. So, so I'll be 42 then. And, and I said, well, I probably won't do the 100th episode until probably the middle of June. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I have, I have, I'm 20 years older. Oh, well, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a 44. It's a 44 year journey around the world for me so far. So, still on it. Okay, so. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, broke up. Couldn't hear you. Oh, I I said um. No going. Um, ding do ne. Um, no gay pom yao. Um, jotal no gay pom yao. Pom my um, jotal bye bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>